Rolling. Renegades. Andre and I had this big idea. Nurses know how to solve shit. Renegades. So just briefly, tell us a little bit about who are you? Where are you from? Oh, yeah. How'd you get here? What the heck are you doing with us? Okay, so my name is Jean Ross. I'm a nurse, obviously, but I wasn't always a nurse. So I'm a second degree nurse. And I I always knew I wanted to be in healthcare. I was a smart girl. I was science and math. I was like really good. Everyone, everyone tried to make me become a doctor. What's your first degree? Uh, my first degree was sociology because when I hit college, I was the, I was the first kid in my family to go to college. My, I'm from a blue, blue worker. You know, my dad worked in a factory. I had I was a benefactor of a state program that paid for my state tuition. Um, you know, thank you, Mrs. Meisberger, my eighth grade teacher, letting my mom know about that program. So I get to school. I'm going to be a doctor because everyone told me I'm a smart girl. Um, and I hated all of my classes. <laughs> and really? I call my dad crying. And he's like, well, what class do you like? And I'm like, I really, I really like my sociology class. He's like, well, be a sociology major. And I loved it because I, as an introvert, I love studying and observing people. So it was really good. And it gave me a lot of perspective. But towards the end of my college career, I realized, what the F am I going to do with my sociology degree? So then I started studying. I got like a minor in public health. I did an internship in D.C. with like a health policy think tank. And I decided I'm going to run hospitals. That's what I'll do. I, I love managing people. And so I was, I got into a master, uh, master's program at University of Chapel Hill. I got a healthcare administration. So I studied the business of healthcare, which was mm. a fascinating, fascinating way to start, right? And, and at the time, my husband, he was trying to still figure out his path, right? So he followed me out to North Carolina. He's like a lab rat and like organic chemistry. We're both really big geeks. And, and so like, I'm going to be the, the like breadwinner and all this stuff. And then I get home, I remember from one of my classes and like the MCAT book is on the ground. I'm like, who's studying for the MCAT? And my husband's like, I think I might try med school. And I laugh. Well, you know, eight years later, he became a doctor. And, and that is just a very hard profession to be married to and have your own aspirations. But it also, because I, so from my degree, I got into actually, they, I recruited nurses. I helped open up hospitals here in Indiana and recruited nurses. Um, and then I got into the patient financial side and I just hated my life. I hated it. Like it wasn't this part of healthcare I wanted to be doing. And so when Chris is like offering this, like, you know, what is it, you know, the, the, the sugar daddy role that he's going to play in my life <laughs> and I'm pregnant and I'm like, if I'm going to be away from this human being, I want to do something that I absolutely love. And when I, I loved, I talked to hundreds of nurses when I would interview them for human resources and I love the stories I told. I thought they were all hilarious. And I'm like, I'm going to go become a nurse. So I was a second degree nurse. They had a program and I went into that and, and I put my kid in daycare and, and loved, well, actually hated it because I, it was all of the, I was like, what am I doing? I haven't found anything I loved until I got to critical care. And then I was like, this is my jam. I didn't realize how much of an adrenaline junkie I was. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're hilarious. I, I, like, because, like, the nurses, like, my, my, like, I knew I was special because, like, my, my friends in nursing school be like, oh my God, they, they wanted me to, you know, do an ABG, but I just was so nervous. I'm like, oh, you should have jumped on that. They're going to let you poke people. Like, do it. Um, But anyway, so, 
Jean, I did. So I did um, flight nursing and you have to take um, advanced trauma. It's a and it's not. I can't I remember. The, about. I, I but it's the, the one program. for doctors, right? It's the one we had to audit it. Like you have to at least you have to audit it for nurses. You do crikes on uh, sheep oh and cardiosynthesis, like all that stuff. <laughs> like I'm like you, but Susie's an agent. I'm like, yes, poking things. <laughs> I, I love doing things. Saving lives and poking things. That's what we love. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, and it was an amazing, I mean, I loved, I loved critical care. I mean, just, and I was, I was night shift because I was a mom and day shift was hard because you're going to miss stuff, but I could always miss sleep. So, you know, I did that whole balance of just nights, you know, drop the kids off preschool, get three hours of sleep, go back, do it again. Oh, it was, it's crazy. When you think back, like what you did yeah. as a young nurse, you're like, how did I survive? Totally. Um, but we got to our third kid and basically my paycheck was just going to the night nanny. And, yeah. and I, and, and it, and then it's just all that normal nursing crap that all that's happening to nurses now it's the it's the one-off emails about you didn't assess the iv it's the oh you're not good enough now you need your you need to be certified in critical care and you need to be joining these committees and i just started getting overwhelmed because all i wanted to do is show up and like become a just care for my patients and go home and it became overwhelming and so i what well, what well, ended up our our night nanny had got a new job and I was just like, I just ended it. Well, I actually asked and pleaded for my manager. I could do 11 to seven. And I still remember, I, it's like, she didn't even like look like, she just like, sorry. And I think about the shortage now. And I'm like, how many people are in my position? Like I would have still been a critical care nurse. if she says, you know what, we're going to figure this out because we still need you. And we're going to keep you. And it made it me feel like something was wrong with me. So yeah, it was a very dark period in my nursing career but I chose nursing profession. And, and so what that led to me, actually, I ended up latching onto my Indiana state nurses association. Um, I ran for like the board, nobody knew me. So of course I didn't get it, but they liked my, you know, spunkiness. And so they offered me some, some foundation board role. So I was like, whatever, I'll learn this. And it was, it was wonderful because then I got to like really start making that connection of like, Oh wait, there's like, all of this stuff that impacts nurses. And here I am, I'm in a, I'm in a very privileged position where I don't have to work, but I could put some of my, my knowledge of the nursing workforce and of the healthcare system and put it to use. So I did that. And then I started, um, so I, 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 that's where a lot of what I was talking about, Andrea, about I saw it work. You know, I, I met with state senators who say they never hear from nurses. And, and that's like where I realized, like, we aren't talking to the right people or we're not doing and having the right connections or there's some disconnect happening where nurses are not in front of those policymakers when they're trying to make these policies. So, OK, so the, the pin about nurses speaking up, we've still got that one, right? What what happened between critical care, uh, leave, having to leave that, not speaking up for yourself, kind of, you know, like, sorry, you know, but not fighting for the job or something else or going above her head or trying something there, to going to senators. What happened to you between that and that? Well, and then in between there too, I became a business owner. So I founded my own little, what I called a care coordination company, um, where over I, that part. Yep, I did. I, that's kind of a big piece of this whole story too. Like, 
I did, well, because like when you're not in the hospital, you kind of have this big and piff, like, am I still a nurse? Like, hell yeah, you're yeah. still a nurse. Like just because you don't totally. work in a hospital. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and then I was, I benefited from having a healthcare administration. So I wasn't uncomfortable with like business terms and like doing that kind of stuff. So I was like, well, what could I do in my spare time, you know, with three kids and, and everything else. But um, I gravitated towards older adults and I um, did a lot of volunteer work um, with my area agency on aging and just saw a huge need for help for these family caregivers that had older adults trying to navigate healthcare. And so just started like calling myself a care coordinator. And what I realized is, is, you know, I found my voice, like, even though like I'm shy and I don't have that person always wants to raise their hand in a room. But when I have this moment of like, where I feel like someone is, has injustice and like someone with dementia can't speak up for themselves, that's suddenly when I feel comfortable to speak up. And then that was probably the beginnings of it. And then working with my Indiana State Nurses Association, I realized nurses are uncomfortable too. And they, and I still don't quite understand why we feel so powerless when we are so freaking powerful. And so I'm like, and I call myself a free agent nurse because I know a lot of nurses are scared to speak up because they're scared of being unemployed because they spoke up. Um, and so I'm like, then tell me the things to say. I have no one that's going to fire me, you know, from doing something. So that's kind of, I guess, how I fell into it. And, and then my state nurses association, they started sending me to nursing schools. So now I, I get to do these lectures in nursing schools where I just teach nurses one, how to even know how to look up your state legislator. And then we do a mock call. I like call my state Senator every time just to show them. It's not scary to call these people. So, Ooh, you know what? Like, what about a, like a Zoom, a webinar? Because we're, we're patient advocates. So basically you are like the forefront care coordinator of, you know, this movement. And it's actually quite big and growing, you know, but like a webinar about how to use your voice in an like, okay. Anyway, sorry. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, like, here, like, I'm running out of pins. Oh, I, know. I know, right? <laughs> keep them, keep them That's coming. A good one. <laughs> no, and then, so then, you know, fast forward to today. So I, I did the whole care coordination thing on the side and I was just, I'm a big giver, right? Most nurses are, we just give so much of ourselves, but, um, I was on, we had a dementia friends, Indiana. So I was trying to help start that movement, trying to educate people about dementia in my community. Um, uh, ARP started this, this whole movement of age-friendly cities. So I got on my, I, you know, our city became designated. So I got on that council. Um, and so I just became known as like the nurse that loves old people and dementia. So anytime, um, that, and that's what I teach the nurses when I go to that school, as I said, fine, because advocacy is hard. And so you can't advocate for things that you don't believe in because it takes a lot of patience and a lot of persistence. So if you don't have that passion underneath, you're just going to dwindle out. Um, and, and so the, the piece where I kind of like brought everything together is in an advocacy work and care coordination, like, and that you guys have done, the thing I've kept hitting my head against over and over and um, was every time you get like that, that phone call, right. Of the crying daughter or, or frustrated person that needs your help. And, and, and even in a nursing, you have to, you have to piece together someone's story and, and more and more in healthcare, it's becoming really hard to pull the information together to get the big picture. 
And I found myself spending so much time because when you do have the complete picture, it's like suddenly light bulbs go off, resources start opening, doors start opening, things start hitting in stride. Um, and I, I'm just super lucky. Hang to in there, everybody. We're getting to the summit. I know. And so, and so I, I, didn't, was, I didn't mean that to be like, you're dragging it on. I mean, like, no, no, what did no, you do? Like, what did you do? Right. Yeah. So I, I've, I've bugged my, I live next to a neighbor who is, um, I mean, he's very, he's been in the startup world and technology. I've given him a thousand ideas over six years. Cause there's so many things you'd be doing for older adults to make them more independent in their home, making their care better, coordination better. And all these ideas he would shoot down. And then I showed him because what I was starting to create were Google drives, shared Google drives with family members and trying to find an app where I could like, we could bring everybody together, discuss, make decisions, get all the information organized. And so I was trying to create this on my own. And when I showed him that he was like, Oh, holy cow. Yeah, we have an idea here. And, and so when I looked into it, then the laws are changing around how we access health information, right? Because even HIPAA is recognizing the coordination is, is, is just families are overwhelmed. We're getting so many complaints, you know, like what can we do? And there's this cures act um, that then put forth this idea of information blocking, right? So there's all these new things happening at the federal level and policies are changing. And so I just had this like vision forward of like, what does our healthcare system look like 10 years? And I just, you just see the workforce going down and you see the families and patients going up. And I'm like, we need to empower families and patients. Like they need to have their own tools. And I don't know what that looks like, but hell, I'm just going to put a, a dart on a board and we're going to start figuring this out. So that's kind of the start of primary record um, of where we started trying to figure out what does that look like for families? How do you help people gather their information in one spot and what do they need and, and all of that? But I'm rambling. I feel like no, 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 not at all. So primary record is the name of the thing that yes. you figured out or are still trying to figure out. Can you tell us, maybe I yes. should ask, answer the question. How did, what did you see? <laughs> What did yeah. you see? Why did you pick Gene? <laughs> no, I, um, it is, it is, uh, it is, it is in beta right now. So we have, mm. I, I tease people. We're at the stage of like, show me, tell me if I got something in my teeth. So we've given it just to friends and family, like everything they tell you not to do, like when you're trying to launch a company, but we gave it to people we trust and be like, let us know, does this work? You know, do you guys find this useful? Um, give us feedback. Um, and we're very, very close to the point of saying, um, all right, let's put this out into the world and make it better. Because the thing is what we realized is we talked to like hundreds of families, um, families with kids with rare diseases, with kids with multiple um, wives that have young kids and like aging parents. And it was so funny. All, the thing they all had in common is they could all speak to the system of keeping track of information. They would show us a notebook. They show us sticky notes. Um, and so those are the families we went back to and be like, hey, would you put that information into this thing? And can we make this thing work better so that your whole family can have access to it and you guys can communicate and you can keep things updated? And then with all these new uh, legal rules that are happening, our, we're in the works of figuring out how do we let families then go, hey, patient portal from four different systems, dump it into primary records. So I have all of my information in one spot. And that like gives me hives, like start thinking about if we can get to that point. But 
sometimes, and I think as entrepreneur, it's good just to be naive and just move forward and see where you land. You can do that, can't you? Right? Yeah. So I, you know, have done um, cancer now twice for myself. And one of the things that we, that me and another friend of mine who is also a cancer survivor, whatever she, um, we, we put together this book, right. Because it, it was our experience that it was so hard to go someplace without your records. So, yeah. you know, it's not technology, but when you talk about, you know, being able to connect to the, the electronic health record, is that like, what does that mean? Does that mean I can go into my account at compass oncology, pull my reports, you know, move them over to my primary record? Or is that something that's going to be seamless between my primary record and the system? Well, what we're hope is, is that, because um, there's a few apps doing it now, and I'll tell you how they work and then how we'll be a little bit different. Um, there is a path right now. Um, I know it's like on Apple Health and a couple other um, companies where like I look up my health network, community health network. I um, and then basically what it does is just it links me to my patient portal. I put my login and then I give it permission to um, because that's what this whole new law is, is that it says that a consumer is allowed to grab their health records and put into any consumer application that they are using. Mm. And so Epic sends me like, are you sure? And here's all the like legal stuff mm. like, you know, and now Apple Health will have your records and and, you know, for them, it's they're obviously, you know, using it in some other way to profit because it's free to you to use their Apple Health. And then all these other legal terms. And then like, do you want to put your labs, your providers, your medications, you select all that, you say yes. And then it brings it over into the app. Oh, and what will be different is because then we, because we, of course, have tried like anytime someone's like, oh, I've heard of this. They're doing what you're doing. I'm like, because I'm like, no one is doing what we're doing because one, we are, uh, we are family centered. So we're not, we don't have relationships with some research or or pharma, you know, that's selling your information. So we're family owned. So you buy your own, you buy to use primary record and then it's yours to own. Right. And then, um, the other piece is you get your records in, in most of the apps, that's all you get to do is you get to view them. But in primary record, there's a placeholder for you to put family interpretation and notes over top of that. Oh. So like you could have a visit and I don't know if you've had this experience. There's always the, the doctor note and then there's the family note, right? Mm-hmm. Because in the doctor world, they've got to be quick. So there's this check boxes, right? But then as they're checking, they're telling you, oh, you should go see blah, blah, blah. Or, hey, buy this off of Amazon. You know what I mean? And so you're writing that down as families because you'll never find that in your EHR, right. or your patient right. portal. There's Because right. doctors are so full of information, but then they're constricted by because what, what are their goals, right? To get through the visit, make sure they have caused you no harm, make sure they can bill and the insurance won't deny their claim. Like they have their own motivations, but they're still helping that family. So they're also giving all of that. Yet the family, that's why everyone started notebooks, right? Because there's no, when I go to review my, my thing, like I don't see those things that the doctor that he recommended or, or, you know, the, um, my son just, you know, sliced a tendon on a finger. So she was giving me all these wonderful resources to use but it wasn't in the record. So I missed it, you know, like, and, and so there, that's where we're a little different. You know what? You just gave me an idea. Here's an idea for you. Maybe you've yes. already done it. No, no, no. But so many people go into doctor's visits now and record them because 
Would it be so great to have something that was like a time stamped transcription? Oh, yeah. Do you have it that? Is on the, it is on the idea board because we've that actually is awesome. Like, that is awesome. The state by state to figure out there are different rules per state mm-hmm. if you're allowed to yeah. record. They are. Um, so it's just right now that's what I love, Jim, because it's like there's in any New York business idea, right? You have crawl, walk, run. And so in the crawl phrase, like, our goal is, can we replace that family's notebook? Do families trust us enough? Are we providing enough utility and value that they're okay to put that in? Because it's like, oh my God, it's all in one place. It's all updated. I don't have to call my sister because now she can see all the notes instantly. Like, does that value? And if, if we can get validation from families in that phase, then we move into, heck yeah, we're off to the races and, and trying to go against getting um, access to all the different uh, portals and all of those ideas of recording. And can we send, can we like submit the patient new patient form? So families don't ever have to fill that crap out again. Right. Because. Oh our, my God. My, my father yeah. just had bypass surgery every, and then all the follow-up appointments, all the pre-op things, they'd send you these things. It's my chart, you know, the, uh, yep. and send him this, these messages to fill out these forms prior to arrival to save time. And every time he got there, they asked him that he's like, I just, I just did this last night. You sent me the notification or one time he's like, I've done it 11,000 times. And she's like, well, it, it didn't something like it didn't submit. She didn't pick up on the 11,000. It didn't submit. So we're just going to go through this again. So I wrote uh, this parody. I think I sent it to you, Andra. I wrote a, like a little parody about when I was in the waiting room about uh, it should have a warning sign like this filling out this form is for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> like, <laughs> I believe it. No, my, it's my a colossal waste of your time. I know my mother-in-law, she because she had the because it's so funny because people are like, oh, I have something that does that for me. And I'm like, but here's the thing. If you if like I lived in Indiana and I maybe I used the patient portal of this hospital system and I because you can input things as a patient, right? But the moment I have to move or, or go somewhere else that doesn't connect to that health portal, like that's what people don't realize. And so how do we, how do we make something, you know, that, that can be possible? I don't know. And that's where I love, I love being partnered with someone that has that technology brain and like, um, and, and Jim, he's wonderful because uh, his daughter has Down syndrome. So he's very much in tune, like, how does this help? you know, families that have kids that they're have medical complex conditions. And, and that's where he kind of gets his jam about helping. Um, but he was like in a, in a waiting room. And so he texts me because he goes, gee, they just made me do my new patient form very via a text. We could totally use primary record to like, just to send all this information. And I'm like, all right, if that's possible, technology wise, that's awesome. We need to do that. (laughs) So one of the things I think is interesting is like, so I collected my health record over time. Once I got diagnosis first time, just because like you were saying earlier, there's a whole picture and a whole story, right? And Mm -hmm. we don't, in healthcare and acute care, we don't really look at the whole picture. And, you know, there's so much going on in the world of medicine around functional medicine. And, you know, maybe when you were a kid, something impacted, you know, your health condition now. And I am telling you, Jean, I mean, I'm 52 and it's like this, like it's so many. And I'm like, even if I ask somebody, paid somebody to do it, it would take forever. I don't even know, like I have the stack and I would love to put it in something that's 
you know, compact, like, and I don't even know where I would start. And not to mention the places where I can't find the records, like my OB for my second child retired. And those things are in some storage space somewhere. I mean, I tried to get them, couldn't find them anywhere. Right. Like, and so it's how that's overwhelming. Yes. And that's what, yeah, cause that's what, when one of our, my, uh, another neighbor, I, I gave her the same test that she just moved from LA and, and, um, she had that same, same feedback. Cause I sent her a link and I was like, Hey, I, have you started? She's like, I'm not, she goes, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know where even to start. Like, what do you need? And so, um, so, so what I, what, cause we're actually in the process, which is why I admire your work. We're like in the process of doing YouTube videos to try to explain things like that. Hmm. What we know about health, yes, I bet there are, what I hope is we get it started now so that we can help those future generations make those connections of child, things that happened in childhood or whatnot, right. you know, yeah. we're not going to do that on day one at primary records. So what I tell families is put the most current information, because as you know, as nurses, sometimes health history loses relevance, right. Over time, but families don't always know those pieces, right. You got the, the guy that's telling you, Oh yeah, I had that done years ago. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what was the labs from last week? Like, you know what I mean? Like there is certain parts of our health history that lose relevance. So with primary record, what we do is we focus on, okay, it, it, like it's the empty state is the guide. So when you open it up, it's like literally providers. So tell me the list of doctors that have been on your team. You know what I mean? And they're, you can, you can have your active ones and the ones that you don't see, but you kind of want to just have in your back pocket if anything ever went wrong again. And then we move to medications. What are things that you've taken? You know, um, what are conditions? And then we also have places where you can just summarize at a high level, like here's my cancer diagnosis, the type, you know, like just doing these like little summaries to at least get people started. Because to me, it's like, if I get you started and then moving forward, Let's figure out how to do that better. It's like the medical record version of Ancestry.com. Like you start with. Yes. <laughs> it's like yeah, you just we, keep, looked, we looked at Ancestry.com yeah. a lot. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you start with your immediate and then you start and maybe you'll get to 500 years ago that your ancestors were pirates on the Mediterranean. I mean, maybe, but it's not as maybe. relevant to right now. Um, would you. <laughs> for? Funny. I love that. I'm going to totally yeah. steal that. Please <laughs> do. That's a great way to explain it. Yeah. Uh, for one thing I love about this podcast is, you know, it's great for nurses because nurses are listening to this and going, oh my gosh, it's a brilliant idea. And not only brilliant you, like that's inspiring in itself. You personally, like I spit myself out of the system. I wasn't getting whatever. And I created my own business and thought of an idea and now it's a thing, you know, that part in and of itself so is cool. cool. Yeah. And then what you're describing is you know, nurses like, oh my gosh, this is so needed. But what I would like you to do is take a couple minutes and tell people who aren't nurses, who aren't in healthcare, why this is so important. Because I can imagine that people are listening to this and like, what do I need that for? I mean, I just, you know, I just go to the doctors. Like he, yeah. they, they do it all because we, we know because it's essential. I mean, collecting somebody's medical history and having all those pieces together. And for those of you who are listening, sometimes how you were born where you were born, if you have a chronic illness or something wrong with you today, that information, were you sick in childhood? What were you sick with? You know, what kind of soil, dirt were you eating? <laughs> as a kid, shoving in your mouth as a kid. Like those pieces are essential. Um, so I'm going to stop talking, but it, I want Jean to say why. So oh, you're, you're doing a great job. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, and 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 that's why we get, and that's why we're first targeted on people that understand the problem. So like when we go to market, so per se, like we are, we are, we are talking to daughters that are taking care of an aging parent. We're talking to moms with chronically ill because, because they have been in those appointments where they thought the doctor had the information. They thought they were going to be that they took off work and they made time to come to this appointment only to be told like, Oh, I don't know why you're here. We never got that information. And those are the moments, you know, that when I, I almost want to like, I always wish like people would tell me like, when did you first realize you needed to start a notebook, right? Like, when did you know that you first needed to start collecting your own information? And I know here in Indiana, we have like four different hospital systems on four different medical chart systems. So you learn pretty quickly here in Indiana. If you go to one and the other one doesn't know, you have this kind of light bulb moment of like, oh, wait, you guys don't talk, you know, like yeah. um, people don't understand all the legality around how information moves through there. People that move um, or have to suddenly force to change insurance and suddenly things aren't being covered because they don't have these notes from a doctor because the reason why people need to own their health information and, and really there was this fascinating article I read back in the day, you saw one doctor and that relationship's wonderful because they just know you and they kind of that repetitive visiting that one person can be the retainer of your story, right? Because you have one person you're interacting with. But the way healthcare is going is now you have the one person, suddenly they're nurse practitioner. Like you're constantly interacting with new people that you have to explain yourself to. And it's exhausting when you're a family caregiver trying to constantly know who you're talking to and what you need to explain. But that's what we're kind of moving away from. And, and technology is doing that, right? Like there's really cool ways you can get care. But the thing is, is you turn on that telehealth calendar, like that doctor's EHR is blank. He knows nothing about you. And you have, you have to fill it all in. And what does that set patients up for, right? Like medical error. Right. And do you, and, and do, does a common lay person know we hear, I'm, we hear all the time in the press that medical error is, you know, a leading cause of death, but why? It's because they don't know your health history. It's because you go to the ER with abdominal pain and they don't have time to look at your record. They don't even have your record. And suddenly you're in surgery for an appendix that's not appendicitis. Or they don't know that your abdominal pain is caused by a conflict of medications because the other two doctors you have are prescribing things that conflict. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, that's what I mean. It's um, it's like taking a modium and a laxative at the same time. <laughs> oh, I know. And that's, and that's where I kind of geek out at. It's like if you can get families putting all their information in, it's like, well, one, like the big piece of prior record, too, is like what we realized right from the beginning, because like EHR has made the same mistake. Right. So way back in the day when we started moving from paper chart to electronic health records, like someone explained this to me and I was like, oh, my gosh, this makes so much sense. Like EHRs never realized they just thought they were replacing a chart. Right. So they never thought about sharing information or using that information to better the whole process for you know anybody they were just literally trying to become another medical, like just a, an electronic version of a chart. And, and so we were kind of following that same trap. And so that's where, you know, we got really big into guidance piece, right? So like, I'm not looking to like be the provider for millions of people through primary record. All I'm looking to do is say, Hey, you put this information in. And then because we've talked to 
thousands of cardiologists or family practice doctors or home care nurses. Now we're, our goal is to make these reports, right? So you're about to visit a home care nurse, push home care nurse, and we're going to produce a report out of all the information you've put into primary records. So you don't have to know what to tell this person. That's where I geek out as a nurse. Like that's probably like five years down the road of like development and testing and failing and learning. But that's where, because that's the thing is no EHR has everything about you to be able to do that. And that's what I've always realized when I would follow these older adults from, from, you know, from the nursing home to rehab to hospice, like, and you just kept recreating their record over and over and over. And I'm like, it just needs to stick to them. Like, how do you make it stick to them? So wherever they go, you just, you just fire it off. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. I love so that, that provider specific that. idea. That's means well, balls. In the operating room, like a nurse has to file through the Epic or whatever the electronic health. And do you really ever get a picture when you've got 10 minutes with your patient before they're under anesthesia? No, because there's no actual summary attached to the patient. There are all these kind of oh, notes I know. everywhere. Well, it's I know. Well, that's, and that's where, cause when I started looking at like what I was doing with, for those older adults, cause they were so funny. Cause they were like, well, is my doctor going to be intimidated by having you in the room with me? I'm like, oh no, you watch in five minutes. They're going to love me. Right. And sure enough, like, you know, I'd let my older adult do their, you know, dignity, give them the thing. And then like the doctor would kind of pause and I'd be like, all right, we have an 86 year old, blah, 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 blah. And yeah. we have this going on at home and this and then, and like the doctor would turn and go, who are you? Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> because you just made their job so much easier, much easier. Yep. because you gave them the information that they need, the stuff from home, which nobody's capturing, right? You can't capture as a nurse when you're, because you're dealing all of your own system stuff. So like, how do you almost like create this like health information system for families um, and make it worthwhile to put in, right? Because that's the thing too, is like, I don't want them to put, do endless, you know, check-in forms. And then that information does nothing for them. You're going to lose face value, right? So everything, every interaction with family, like Jim and I are constantly like, okay, well, why are we having them put that in? Because it has to do something for the family if, if they're going to put that information in. So we've got to make it worth their while. Yeah. I mean, can we please inject some common sense and I mean, <laughs> or use, use common sense to actually, what's the opposite of inject? You know, like yeah. refine, Rejects. distill. I mean, like the things I have that stuff when you go into a doctor, you know, they you get the clipboard oh, yeah. and you start filling stuff out. And it's like, you don't need to know this. I How is this helping? I know my older dog, yeah. like you didn't fill that in. I'm like, they don't, they're not going to do anything with that information. We're not putting that. Nope, yeah, they just so need true. to know this history and then this, it's all over here. So one thing, one thing that I think is really compelling, well, maybe the most compelling thing about primary record, I mean, there's a bazillion things and it's so needed, but what, what I found to be true in my experience as a cancer patient that I didn't know as a nurse was like, you know, as a nurse, when you get like patients, the revolving door patients, and there's sort of a bias in nursing around them, right? Like they're addicted to the, the, the medical care. They're not engaged in their care. They're depending on the system to fix them. They keep blah, blah, eating blah. glass. They keep eating glass, you know, like, and then as a patient, it was, it was, I could see like, oh, because you're not, you're not getting better. So of course you keep revolving yourself through the system because you're, you know, whatever it is, whether it's or yeah, you don't know where else to go, or you have chronic stomach issues, whatever, but to really engage in your care, 
right? Like there's a difference between depending on the system to fix you and as a patient, owning it and getting into the system and asking the right questions and being organized. I mean, I took my book to MD Anderson and the the nurse was like, I've never seen such an organized patient. And I had a book in my hand, a notebook, right? But it was very organized. It had all the current labs on top. You knew exactly how to organize. I want to see your notebook, Andra. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's so much more I want. I, we got to talk about, but for the purpose of this podcast, I just think like, there's a piece about engagement that the, the common person doesn't know. And even us nurses, right? Because we're so conditioned to just take care of the patient, do the best job we can. And we don't ever put any onus or responsibility on the patient to say, no, no, this is your care. Like you have to engage, you you know, we talk about it all the time, you know, like, uh, ask the right question, like, but we give it lip service, you know? And Uh and I think some of that, remember we had, we had this podcast with Leanne, uh, uh, Saffer, um, shameless plug for another podcast. Um, but something that came out of that, because we were, you know, it was like, it was like, we were talking around it and talking around it. And then at the end it was define your fine. And to me, that should be front and front and center in any chart. Go what, Andra? Well, I was just going to say while you're saying this, tell she was a breast cancer patient, a very young breast cancer, very patient, young. So. so, to Andra's point, not being involved is allowing the healthcare system and the providers to define your fine for you, and fine for a thirty or some year old you know, with breast cancer, who they're saying double mastectomy and whatever is going to be different than somebody who's 78 and sedentary and just, you know, puts coral lipstick on and goes on Golden Girls cruises. I mean, like, you know, their fine is going to be different and you will get dragged, you know, unless you have what is my fine. And that I think defining that for yourself actually and, Mm -hmm. and being aware that you could get dragged around by somebody else's fine for you. Uh, first awareness and then defining your own is kind of, you know, I don't have the right, it's not quite right yet, but it's- No, no, but that's, that's very much like, that's very much kind of, I think, because to Andre's point, which I like, I remember never, like, I remember hearing those excuses, like, and, and I understand too, looking back, sometimes it was like nurses being burnt out and like, it was just an easy way to deal with a patient not doing well is to just blame the patient. Right. And I just couldn't do that. Right. To me, I'm like, but why, why would they just keep eating those chicken when they know they're in heart failure? Like, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> you know, like, like they have to have a reason. Do they not understand? Like, you know, why? <laughs> I, I just couldn't, I couldn't blame the person that was like, that was hurting, you know, like I had a hard time with that. And I used to, um, cause I, I did at one point try to like train other nurses to do this care coordination. And I was, um, I love telling them, I'm like, own their story, change that whole environment because you know, going in there, they're going to talk. It's a, Oh, this is an 86 year old with Parkinson's with belly pain all the time. She's annoying, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you go in there and be like, Hey, did you know Molly used to fly airplanes? Like change the whole vibe of who she is and what her purpose is here on earth, you know? And, and, and then, and then make your ask of what you want for the doctor because because what, so what, what happens in that whole blame and us versus them is that you lose sight of why you're all there, 
right patient to get better, nurse to take care of you. Um, and there's just a lot of things in between that relationship that makes us all kind of pit against each other and not work together. And it's like, if I, to me, like in primary record, like if I make a placeholder, why do you take this medication? And then if I link it to the doctor that you're supposed to call when you have problems, like, can I start piecing your story together for you so that when a nurse asks you why you take something or who manages that and you know the answer, like right. just that whole relationship is going to start changing because yes. you look like you are engaged and you know what you're talking about. I loved how Entra, I mean, you should, I, I mean, I was privileged <laughs> to have been on both journeys and watch them. And I don't know why I'm starting to get all <laughs> I'm starting to cry. We cry at every podcast. Or at least I, do, but no, I don't know why there was, there was some, because of who she is and she knew her fine and she is so her story, the, the relationship she had with her oncologist was so beautiful to me. And I think there's a potential of that relationship being there 75% of the time, at least right. when medical professionals, you know, she, he knew her so well because she demanded it because yeah. that's her personality, but everybody deserves every, and I think every doctor deserves to know and every nurse deserves to know who their patients are as well so that they can do their best because you will get burnt out if it's just a name or if it's just a number, but it brings purpose back into what you're doing. Right. Well, and it you makes know? you as a nurse work smarter. Like that's what I, I, I would, I would go back and I tell nurses like, I look back over my career after like working on the other side, you know, cause it is, it, it feels so weird to be on that yeah. other side. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't know how to describe it to other, to even like, you know, a, a future nurse, but you're doing all these things, but you haven't like you, you just went into action, but you didn't take that five seconds to ask if the patient even wanted it. You could have saved yourself an hour of work. If you would have just learned that this patient doesn't ever want to be stuck with another needle again. So all you would have had to do is do palliative care and get them home on hospice. But instead you went through this huge roundabout way to get there because you never stopped to learn what they wanted. And that's a big piece. Like that became like a monstrosity and primary record that kind of got punted, you know, as a later stage. But I was like, how do we get people in primary record to go through those steps of identifying the things that they want? Right. Like, and how do you, how do you describe yourself to a doctor in a way, um, you know, that's meaningful to that doctor, but also sets up that relationship so they know exactly who you are and what you want out of this. Right. And like if your that, biggest goal yeah. is to go to Disney world with your kids, then maybe that's not even, then, you know, then it's to say, Hey, I see this. And so if we did this treatment, it's not gonna, it's going to prolong and not give you that opportunity. You know what I mean? Like how do you set up those relationships? That's Yeah. That's fascinating. That's so fascinating because when you think about it, like we talk all the time about advanced directives, right? As, especially for patients that are terminal or who, and, and, or who have cancer just in general, you know, whether or not you live or, you know, live or don't. And it's interesting because even from the nurse side, that in and of itself, if you've ever been through the advanced directive, yes, it, it's very specific about what you want. If you can't speak for yourself, but it doesn't really define your fine. It doesn't really, no. right? And so, and that's really the only thing we have. To, no, it's, right? and, and there's a lot of neat, because because of where we're at, there's a lot of people doing neat spaces on just that. And it's been funny to see what they do in that space. Because it's just like, to even like name like, 
ah, just don't let me put, don't put a bra on me when I'm laying in bed all the time. I'll be so uncomfortable. Like just like little weird things. Like for me, I don't want an obituary. I want you to put my chocolate chip recipe out in the world. All right. And then that's my obituary. <laughs> I don't care about anything else. I think that's so important that to your point of like, what are, and it goes back to what Karen was saying about, you know, our, our podcast guest, Leanne, you know, it was like, what, what do you want? And, and I think you're so right. It is going to cure burnout. I think yeah. that's part of it is it's going to put nursing nurses back into nursing. It's going to put the care back into healthcare, right? Like, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's no, it, it makes the you and, uh, you and patient and me healthcare provider, it, it, it's a community again. When I know who you are and what you want and what you're all about, it's a we, you know, and it's not this actually, yeah, it, I don't know, some, someone from head, it goes from, from head to belly, you know, when, when you know that person that you're taking care of and it's like, it's we, it's a community, it's a tribe, you know, think about how before there were hospitals and healthcare systems, what did they do? You know, the whole community gathered around the people and they took care of them. It was we, you know, this, this, the way things are, it's so fragmented. It puts us against each other. No wonder people are burnt out because there's no purpose in it anymore. It's box checking. And it just becomes more fragmented. That's what I feel like. It's just everything I see like trend wise, you know, I mean, I mean, I love it. I mean, everyone is like growing their own community, but it's like all of these communities are still separated and they're wonderful to like refer people to, but I'm like, but what if you're someone that needs to belong to many? I don't, I don't know. Like I keep trying to figure out like, how do you, Yeah, we want to start an island called home-based renegade people rescue. (laughs) Um, yeah. So that, but primary record, I think is, a is from what you've been telling us is, is to me, that engagement piece, like, and to Karen's point, demanding that my physician know me, right? Like I did that mostly verbally, right? Cause I knew, but if and you were strong enough to do and that, I was strong that's, the thing, do, that's right? the thing I noticed a lot of people, and then maybe it's just that it's that relationship is very uncomfortable, right? You enter a room. Sometimes you have to take all your clothes off and you're like under a gown. And then here comes this person in that looks really rushed, you know, like you, and, and it's, I I, I wonder they're looking at all patients and saying they have to wear the same clothes. I know. And that's, I mean, that's the other reason when you talk about like, you know, why should patients do, or why should families do this? It's because you walk in on the street. We don't know who you are. We don't know what you want. We didn't know that you just picked up two meds from Walgreens and you get this shipped from Amazon. Like right. your information is everywhere. And, right. and it's, and I, and all I do is I feel like patients and families are getting angrier at healthcare workers because we don't know them. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like we both need some skin in the game. Like how do we level this out yep. Yep. to make sure you have a place to put this stuff. And then we have a place to review it or a place for you to summarize for it. Cause I think, I mean, I think even like the health charts, they do a great job of having a lot of information, but then it's now it's information. Yeah, over. You, you know, when you were, I forgot to say this earlier, you know, those, uh, I mean, I worked in a lot of different hospitals, but there was like, sometimes there was a summary kind of right. thing in the front of the chart, but it felt like it was 10 years old. Right. You know what I mean? Like you'd never, you, you kind of like, you know, 20, you'd see the so-and-so 28 year old. Yeah. 28 year old male, whatever. And for some reason, I I just remembered this, that you'd always just breeze by it because it felt like it was antiquated information. I don't know why you'd always go to the the chart and what's going on, but Mm -hmm. that if, if, 
people could have confidence in that summary right to tell oh. about this person no uh, right and then and then i think about too like i think of persons of color i think of women i think of people that say things and all of those biases that happen in healthcare right and they don't listen to the patient because of that bias block and then suddenly you hand them this like official official looking summary from your primary record right and it breaks down the words coming out of your mouth that they've you know, because for whatever reason, I like I I'll, won't understand by I mean, I do understand bias and why it happens and it takes a lot to overcome it. And so that's where I get it. another excitement is like, could we help in that communication, make it seem could we change like someone's course of care by by making it look more official? What's going to say the same thing because yeah. it's literally her input into primary record. But suddenly right. we summarized it. We showed how many times it's happening. We showed. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, how do we better help that person that isn't being heard in healthcare be heard? Karen, that that reminds me of another podcast guest who talked about trauma informed care. And to 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 that point, like if you've been through a lot of trauma, no matter what it is, trauma through the medical system, trauma in your life, whatever, like in that summary, like I was astounded at how how much I learned about trauma informed care that I did not know as a nurse. Right. Like I had a client as an advocate who called me and she was like, well, the first thing I need to know is, are you trauma informed? And this was like back in 2017 when I was just starting. I was like, what is that? What? I didn't even know what that was. But in a summary where there is something to that point about the trauma, like even that is a connector right there, because all of a sudden as a nurse, like I, I, I don't I guess I can't speak for all nurses, but I would say like, oh. Mm -hmm. like wow like you've been through a lot right just that like right no and to change a little bit because that's i mean you know nothing about them i mean i think mm -hmm. of all the patients that used to come into icu and all you had to rely on was whatever the past if you had records in your system what yeah. was done last time right and then and that's where like i would look back and like some of my favorite patients like i still remember this nonverbal patient this is like but she unrolled like this perfect. piece of paper right and i was like Oh my God. And you just made my admission like so much easier because I just sat there off of your paper and inputted your vaccines and like all the things I need to put in my system. Um, I just, I adored her because she was her own advocate and I admired her for that. Yeah. That yeah. was a perfect place because I was wondering for, if you could tell us some stories since you've started primary record of thing, uh, stories or anecdotes or something that illustrates how this product or this service takes people from lost to not lost. Is, do you have any like illustrative? Yes. I, I, just from, cause Jim and I would cry sometimes with, with some of the families. Um, when we were doing, um, we just did, uh, testing, um, of just like when we had our initial ideas, so we, and then we pulled a bunch of families in and we just walked through, um, and it's way better than even what that was. But the one that really stands out story-wise is, um, a mom who had a, a daughter with a seizure disorder and she kind of started tearing up because she said, if I had all of this in one place, she's like, I would feel okay to like go on a vacation with my husband and leave my daughter with somebody. And I, and that's the thing that made me realize like, oh my gosh, like how many family caregivers? Because if you think about your notebook, you know your notebook, you have your own system, but then to hand it to somebody else to try to, to make it understandable, like, um, or how to find information in it is hard. 
And so that's what we, so that's where we came very big on search and making sure things were very uniform. And so it's like, it's almost like we're standardizing the health information for families. So if we get families using this and they all are using the same thing, then they have, they start creating their own language around their primary record and where to find things and how to document it. Like we just had a conversation. Um, there's a, another couple that has a, a kiddo um, with a rare disease. And the mom, she, he just, and actually in our, in starting this, like he was in high school and he was going to college. Cause that's what we realized too. Like, oh my gosh, there's, there's this transition that happens. And, and she had to tell him at one point, she said, you know, I, I can't be at your medical appointments when I'm, when you're 40, like you have to learn how to advocate for yourself. Like, but it was her own, like she had four binders, you know, for her child. Mm -hmm. And that they just started kind of putting information in. And it's been wonderful to hear their questions um, of how they interpret information and to kind of standardize that for their family. So now it becomes a seamless, like if he went to an appointment, she doesn't have to be at every appointment, right? Like he can advocate for himself because if there's a question, he knows how to look it up and find it for himself. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. So those are like the little, the, I mean, not little, but they're there. Those are the stories that kind of keep me going. Cause this is, I mean, as you guys know, starting anything new is overwhelming and you yeah. doubt yourself and you don't think anyone's going to ever listen or use it. Um, and so you have to really think about those moments that you help someone or, or had an aha moment and, and then like, all right, we're going to keep going. Well, I'm so glad you gave those stories. Cause that's one thing I didn't even think of the fam, the freedom that it would give people. I hadn't even thought about that because to me, for anybody listening to this, this will save lives. I mean, hands yeah. down, every time that Antra and I, I mean, any ad, patient advocate can tell you, one of the first things you do is like a medication reconciliation. You know, how are your medications interacting? Is this doctor talking to that doctor about whatever? Sometimes they have lethal, lethal combinations of medicines. And no wonder there's so many people that die of medical, you know, med error. And even outside the hospital, those are the ones that aren't even right, even really counted as much. Um, but that alone, you know, what kind of supplements are you taking? Are your medications even right. working with the foods you're eating? You know, like those kinds of things, that alone. So it's really, I just really wanted to stress that, that something like this yeah. will save people's lives, not only get them better care, no. And that's where, cause that's where you realize what's missing on the patient portal. Cause like, it's like, I mean, I, cause someone asked me which I'm like, Oh, are you like going against Epic? And I'm like, no, we still need Epic, but yeah. they have so much on their plate. They have to, they're trying to process scheduling and billing the insurance and the workflows of doctors. Like I, their patient portal is wonderful, but it's, they don't have time to solve all the problems that families are having. And they're not, they don't understand the problems that families are having where they could be giving data. So that's where, so even like where someday we could have a product that people are inputting those lethal medicines that an alert just comes up, right? Because it runs through an algorithm that says, do you, right. you know, why don't you call your doctor and make sure they take a look at all these medications? Well, the, the AI you could bring in, right? When right. you put it all that, all those medications and like you just said, and an alert comes up because it's like, no, no, these two medications. And that's because the pulmonologist gave you a medication and the cardiologist gave you a medication and neither and one of them saw that, right? <laughs> that happened to my dad. He almost died of pancreatitis because he, he had, you know, the, the lung guy and the heart guy not talking to each other, but in that, in your system, no, no, these medications don't no. go together. No. And that's what, yeah. And that's where, because that's where the other piece of like, you know, if someone goes to put in a new con, a new condition, right. Mild cognitive impairment, 
right now that's what I hear from families all the time is in the neurologist's office, we got a dementia or Alzheimer's diagnosis. And then we just kind of nothing. Like we don't know yeah. what to do. Yeah. We don't know what, what should we be preparing for. Mm -hmm. And then how mm -hmm. cool to like have a, have a, like a thing that reads that that's a new condition just entered and send an email to check on that family, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, we just saw this new condition. Did you know mm -hmm. that families that like, get this, like you should, you should look up your Alzheimer's association. Think about a living will. Think about what you want. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like how do you, how do you better guide families from the, the information happening to them? Because right now I feel like we're just counting on our poor healthcare system to do it. And they just can't. <laughs> yeah. And to illustrate why it's not redundant for people, it's like, if, if you go to MIT and you're taking quantum mechanics and there's a textbook with all these numbers and big words and whatever, that's epic. That's what, you know, people who speak medical language, that's what they read and they understand in the hospital. If you read a book by Joe Dispenza, <laughs> you know, he's saying the same thing, but in plain language that everybody can in practical application. I don't know why I picked that, but it's the same information spoken to a different audience. So Epic has its place and the family's language has its place. And if they read, but if the families read the quantum mechanics textbook, they're not going to know what to do. No, no. I have a client right now who just called me and she's got advanced cancer. And she was like, I don't know what any of this stuff means. She's like, can you just be proxy on my chart so you can look at the lab? She's like, I don't understand any of it. Right. Like that's the thing. Oh, so you're, so that's like the, the conduit for, for patients to understand, to engage in their care. Like this is missing. This is missing in healthcare. Like I'm so excited about this because the engagement piece was the engagement piece was the next step in my evolution as a patient, you know, from, okay, fix me. I'm broken to, okay, I got to engage in my care and demand at least the standard of care to, oh, I own this. This is mine, right? And when we own our healthcare, because I didn't see engagement, I thought it was just engagement for a long time. And, and I did a really good job of it, but I didn't own it. I still kind of expected that right. that would, that, that the system would somehow fix me. And, you know, it, I, I went through the conventional system to have surgery the second time around. And I don't see it as them fixing me. I see it as part of my journey to health. And mm -hmm. I own that. It was my decision to have the surgery. It was my decision to go, you know, yep. hold treatment for a while, right? Like oh, when it sure was your decision. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that ultimately, like our system on the patient side is going to get better when we get to engagement and we talk, we've in nursing, we talked about that so much for so long. And it was like, how, you know, is it more education? Is it this, is it that? Like, we just never really, we did a lot of talking. No. Yeah. And I feel like, and I feel like we use that excuse of the patient, like they'll never engage. Right. The thing is, like, as an advocate, you are there in that house hearing their story and you're like, Oh wait, this patient actually cares about their health. Like, yeah, it's just like a, a weird, a weird transition. Of, true. Yeah. And that label non-compliance should be stricken from every record because actually non-compliance is them complying with themselves. Why? You know, they, they're, you know, Anyway, I can't, that's a bad label, non-compliant patient. They won't do what we tell them. When I would get, when I would get a nursing report, like this is a non-compliant patient. I'm like, to me, it was like lazy, 
You haven't like asked that patient, like you haven't figured out what's happening, right? Like non-compliant is not an option. Like non-compliant means they probably don't want all of this treatment. No one's had a good discussion about what they want, you know, yeah, like, or, or they, they have this you know, emphysema and non-compliant with tobacco cessation. Well, maybe because if they stop, they have nobody else. And those 20 friends in a box is what keeps them alive because a lot of people die of loneliness. I mean, but people don't, you know, oh, they're so stupid and non-compliant, still smoking, you know? Well, how many people have quit smoking because their doctor bullied them into it and then they died a month later of loneliness? I know. That's that's a, that's a very true. And then, and then Andre, to your point too, like what's been really cool. So what I had to learn as a nurse, like I don't have to know like the, the like in the weeds of how to, to code or any of that stuff, but like, so like the thing that's happening in healthcare right now, like all these new laws, what they've done is, so we keep putting data in these health records and then the law says now we, they have to attach a code to um, all of these lines of data and electronic health records. Um, they're called APIs. Look at me. I'm like so smart with technology. Nice. <laughs> but anyway, so and it's, this thing is called fire, which I think is hilarious. So I'm like girl on fire. Um, and all that is, is like, it's the technology of how, how information can then be taken out of those electronic health records. So literally like Jim and I have been inside fire to be like, okay, how does the health system talk about it? And then we go over to primary record and be like, how are we going to map that in for the family and put it in primary record in the spot that's going to make sense to them to then inform them of the bigger picture. So like that's been such a nightmare because like, and it's funny to see too, all the things that the healthcare system collects on you. So like, we're not even all the boxes on fire yet. It's just, it's just like, okay. So under observations is a whole list of things, right. But there are many things in ours. So, so, so much of that, it, it just, and it's funny because when this, some, we get to these points where we have to make decisions and it, it has made me realize more and more as a nurse, like there's just decisions in healthcare. We constantly back the system over the family. Like, and that's been the most like freeing thing is like, I represent the family. And so it's fun to like make those decisions and our, and our, and our idea to, to say, yeah, that's how they do it. But that's not how the family is going to receive it. That's not how they talk about it. That's not how they interact with that information. So how do we make that, make that work for them? So, so it's almost like, so, you know, going as a, as a patient advocate to everybody's, to each of my clients' homes, listening to their story, right. It's almost as if primary record could teach them because I know I like, I have a a blue collar client who's got cancer, who, you know, really literally hard of hearing older. Um, and when we first started, he, his, his mother, his elderly mother, because he was 67 hired me and I'd go and I'd ask all the questions and, and, you know, really engage so that he could get the answers that he needed to make decisions, but he didn't really participate. But now, like two years later, he, he's like, hey, can you help me come up with some questions? And I'm going to like, he's advocating for himself. And he will say what I didn't hear you. What did you say? You have to talk louder because I can't hear and I don't have my hearing aids. And so, I mean, to to like in my mind, primary record could be that portal to really help patients learn how to 
how to ask the questions and how to engage, right? Yes. And that's where I think I will lean heavily on nurses and patient advocacy groups. Cause we did start, we had like a little guidance piece. Cause actually Jim and I just looked at it today where like, if you put in like, okay, I'm going to the, you know, I'm doing a, I have a surgery, you know, and it's on this date and you can put your visit in to have it like, and then there's this whole before, during and after, and here's like a checkbox of things you need to do. And we were real excited at first, but then we started looking at our checkboxes. We're like, oh, this doesn't feel of value, but that's like, that's what we want, right? We want something where if someone is putting the first time a cardiologist, like how do we link them to the right information so that they can start learning and realize that not every patient is like, go get them right in the beginning. Right. It takes time to build up and want to be that engagement. But but that was the piece with the, when I started my care coordination company, I wanted, I wanted to fix the system. Right. And I wanted and what I realized over time, I was literally just a band-aid on like a bursting dam. And I was like, what, how do I, how do I change this? Like, how do I, how do I make, not that people aren't going to need a patient advocate, because I think people still want that where here's all my information, help me make sense of it. I don't think primary record can do all of that right, right out. Like there's still a lot to learn there, but. But what it does right now will be true. No, just, it's, it's simple. I know because sometimes Jim's like, is this useful? And I'm like, yes, because we don't have this information today. But that kind of goes then back to this original question of we, you know, talk about change and changing the healthcare system and how are we going to address burnout? And, you know, I think that this idea of connecting with our patients is, is huge, but over and above that, like, I just responded on someone's post because she, she posted about, you know, we're going to lose all of our nurses because of Omicron and blah, blah, blah. And, and I was like, I, and she said something peculiar. She was like, maybe it's educating the public. And I was like, huh, like, I'm curious about that notion because how long ha- I, I'm kind of over all the talking. And I'm, and I, and I agree. I'm, I'm right in there too, shouting from my megaphone. Hey, this needs to change. So I'm not like criticizing anyone, but nurses talk a lot about it. What, even at the legislative level, like the ones that are there, we're still where we were 10 years ago. Like what advancements have we really made to change, you know, burnout and short, short um, staffing issues. And, you know, like, what is the answer to that? And how do we do, where's the action? And I thought, oh, well, the educating the public, like, is that a portal to, you know, like it was really curious. That makes it we again. I mean, you have to start making it we, like all of us hold, because everybody needs to demand change together. And that was, that was my one, like, like I, when I would help patients advocate, like families would start complaining about the nurses or whatever, especially like in a rehab, like, oh, they just, they, they never get my mom on the the toilet in time. And I'm like, well, let's think beyond that because she has eight patients, four call lights going off. They're, they're keeping them understaffed because nurses are expensive, you know, like, and it was just so nice to finally then start seeing that relationship change rather than blaming the nurse for all the problems of the system in that moment, like to be like, oh, let's take it above a step above her. Like, you know what, what, you know, and so then you start seeing like patient and family advisory councils at these different nursing homes and stuff. And I'm like, yes, this is what's needed. It's like, it's like this, um, Cause what I feel like is like family caregivers and nurses, like I belong to both groups and they say the same things about the system. <laughs> and I'm like, how do we join forces? Because that's like 54 million and then 5 million. Right. And then we can, that's, that's your voice. Well, I, to, to your point on, I think that is exactly where the change starts happening because P- 
people aren't even aware of the standard of care that should be delivered, that they shouldn't have to wait to get on the toilet, you know? And when they start demanding, you need more staff. My mom, we're paying a lot of money for her to be in there. She didn't have to wait six hours to get on the toilet. I mean, what's wrong with you people? That's exactly right. So what does that look like? I don't know. But well, it looks like somebody has to start somewhere. And that's right. That's what I'm like. Just tell me what I'll go do it. (laughs) No, I mean, I'm really happy to have this conversation because I think, you know, building our renegade community, right, is is the podcast and the CE was sort of the, the um, inspiration to make big change in healthcare, right? Because we wanted to start somewhere, right? So the community to me is what's, uh, you know, Karen is, uh, Karen and I kind of go back and forth between this, but I think there's some, I don't know, something's brewing. I'm not sure what it is yet, but something's brewing. And I'm super excited that like, I'm, you know, we're connecting with nurses like you because honestly, like, I have never in my nursing career felt so connected to other nurses as I do since we started Renegade. Yeah, no. And, and I think, and I, and I think it's all about example, right? Like, and I think that's what, and that's what, what your podcast Renegade can do is a nurse somewhere could be just listening on her way home that feels powerless and then listens to another nurse and then says, Oh my gosh, someone's trying to do that. You know what I mean? Like there's something when you have an example to point to. You don't feel as helpless. You feel like somebody's actually doing something about it. And then you might either, either it'll give you hope or inspire you to do something yourself too. You know? No, exactly. You just, you need an example. Like, you know, it's like, um, like I, um, I, I'm trying to think like, uh, well, like even like, so I, I coach my fifth grade son's team and it's another mom that helps out. And like, there was, after one of our practices, this like older lady comes up and she like high fives us. And I'm like, why is she high fiving us? I'm like, oh, cause she's never seen two women coaches of a boy's basketball team, right? Like there's an example that that can be done. Yeah. And it may uh-huh. make another mom that's sitting in the stands be like, oh, that doesn't look so hard or that doesn't look like they did it, you know, like, and I think that's the hard part. It's like, and that's where, you know, your guys' podcast is kind of paving this road of nurses that are kind of willing to be put on a sacrificial table of time and sweat and yelling. And then, and eventually something catches on and, and, and it's really a grassroots movement and, and it's, um, it's very hard to do. But it's, yeah. Well, it takes renegades. Who it does. And this has been, uh, So inspirational. And I'm so glad that we found you and that you're part of our tribe and please be our friend. I am. I'm here to shout out whatever you're doing. Please do not hesitate. Yeah. How would people get a hold of you and where can they see your shizzle? Um, yes. So, um, obviously our website is www.primaryrecord.com. I can't believe we own that. You got that. That's awesome. I have to, yeah, that was, um, it's kind of a crazy name. We, we, that was, we went through all kinds of different names and it's, it's fun, but, um, but yeah, primaryrecord.com or you can totally stalk me on LinkedIn. I am Which I do on the right. I do. I love it. It's like the <laughs> best time all the time. <laughs> I would, I would never come up to you in public and introduce myself, but I have no problems hiding behind a keyboard, but I meet such cool people, like just reaching out. So I will say LinkedIn has been pretty fascinated and good for that. It like I yeah, it it has. totally has, but yeah. So the website LinkedIn, or I mean, my email is gene at primaryrecord.com. Like just just give me a shout out. And especially if you're a nurse working on something or just, I don't know, like just, just give me a, 
I, I'm here, like a little uh, nurse innovation community, like disruptors. So I'm glad to be, be an RN. Yeah. I mean, I, I know you said that it's in beta right now, but er, like if people want to try it now, can they, or is it like next Yes. When? So there is a little like box in the corner that says join waitlist. And obviously I'm going to send you to a registration link. You're welcome to be testers if you want to, if you want to just to check it out and see, I will send you guys a link. Um, or if, but, uh, or feel free to send me an email. If you're like, I want to be a tester so bad, I'm going <laughs> to totally take you. But, but for people that want to wait out all the bumps of a, a beta phase, there's this a join waitlist. Cause that's, we're going to go a really slow roll because I'm type a and this is your health information. So we're going to first go to that wait list and then we'll start with those families, make sure things are working smoothly, how families see it, work with all the things that they want done and just keep improving and improving. So you're, you're amazing. I love your story. I mean, Aww. talk about like coming from, you know, where you did to where you are now and all the like, so cool. I love Sorry. it. You're Thank a you. freaking rock star. No, just, totally. Just- Every, we need every nurse to stick, keep working in some capacity. It doesn't have to be frontline, just either calling a Senator, talking to people like you, like more nurses talking, the better writing editorials. Like, yeah, um, I just, I hope more nurses get out there. Yeah. Don't, I mean, instead of leaving the nursing profession together, let's all make the nursing profession something that you don't want to leave instead of leaving it. Let's change it. I know. Cause that's, I mean, that's, I think that's a part of like my stubbornness is like, I chose this damn profession. I'm going to make it better. <laughs> I feel the same way. I totally yeah. feel like that too. I'm like, I am not leaving this. There's I'm no way. Leaving. I know. Yeah. Especially in Indiana, we don't actually need CEUs. Like my favorite patient I took for her name was Kate. She was 88 and she was still a registered nurse. Cause all you have to do is Indiana is make sure every two years is you renew your license. She, so so she made sure her daughter would renew her license so she could die saying she was still a nurse. And I Aww. go, I- Love her. <laughs> I love that too. That's amazing. Well, now it's super easy. All she has to do is plug into a podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just listen for some, some earbuds in. So I can't wait to listen more. So let me know oh, if I can ever help you guys. Well, we'll, 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 we'll be, be, we'll be in touch. In touch. Yeah, wonderful. for sure. So awesome. Thank okay, you so much for spending time with us, Jean. Okay. Thank you guys. Renegades.